0: Welcome to the Bold Speak podcast, I'm Anthony Creedon. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to read from Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 29, and further Paul's discussion on the relationship between the law and the gospel. We're also going to talk a little bit about Michael W. Smith, and something that, I'll be honest with you, kind of surprised me on this edition of The Inner Out. So I'm excited for you to be here with me, and ladies and gentlemen, let's just get right to it. Let's give them the Bold Speak. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast as we continue our study of No Other Gospel, a study of the Book of Galatians. Now, before we get too far into this, I think it's important as we enter this section of our study uh, to take a real solid look at the importance of Paul's distinction between the law and the gospel. Uh, That is to say, to get an understanding of of how the law works and how the gospel works and kind of how they work together. Now, in this distinction, it's going to really help us nail down a right understanding of the true gospel, which was Paul's goal from the beginning. And in this way, we'll not be kind of deceived by another expression of the gospel altogether. Uh, that is, as Paul says, no other gospel at all. That's the reason for the title of the study. Now, uh, if you've had a chance to download the study guide and, and follow along, that's excellent. Um, go ahead and open up to page 20 if you have the opportunity. Uh, if you've not yet picked that up, I would encourage you to go do so at our website. Uh, that's www.theboldspeak.com. Uh, if you click on the shop button in the menu uh, there, you can purchase the, the study for $10. Uh, this will give you kind of all the questions with some spaces for you to take some notes, as well as some additional thoughts of my own to, to help you kind of flesh out this study. So. I really hope that's of benefit to you. All right, uh, all that being said, let's kind of jump back here uh, into Galatians with chapter three, and we're going to start with just the first uh, few verses here, verses 19 to 22. As always, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you have a Bible there with you and it's not ESV, that is perfectly fine. I just want to give you the references so that you can follow along with me. Uh, If you happen to be driving at the time and don't have the opportunity to read the Bible because you're focused on the road, don't worry. As always, I have you covered. I'm going to read it here for you. All right, so here we go. Uh, This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 22. Why then the law? But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe." All right, so question six. What is Paul's reasoning in verse 19? In other words, what in the world is Paul getting at here? Now I think to rightly understand this question and and what Paul's doing, we have to back up a little bit so we can get a context for, for what he's saying. If you look at verse 18, he says, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so here we talked about in the last podcast the the distinction that Paul is making between the law and the gospel, that they're not the same thing. They're not uh, intertwined as the the Judaizers might want to make it out to be. But then it kind of begs a question. If the gospel, if the promise is kind of what this whole thing is about, and this is the way that God has gifted Abraham and set Abraham apart, and thus set us apart, then what is the point of the law? And this is the question he's asking, why then the law? What's that for? Now his answer is to say this, we have the law so that we can recognize that we are sinful and in need of a savior. See, through the law, we're guided away from sin and toward a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, By steering us away from sin and by honoring the way that God created the world to work, uh, we are in better alignment, better relationship with God and with others. And so this is why the law is given. It's not given to save us, but to kind of guide our actions. Now, this second little part here of verse 19 that that says um, that it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Uh, what he's addressing here is he's saying that while the messengers of God communicated this reality, and in some instances, God himself communicated the reality of the law through several different people, um, Moses, um, Abraham, the prophets, um, several different people throughout scripture. Uh, though God used several people, we have to make sure that we understand that all of this is given from God. So so really, in truth, this is all God's law, all right? As as God has given it through several different people over time and that's the little comment he makes in verse 20 when he says now an intermediary implies more than one uh, but in fact God is one so this law is God's law directly from God though he used several people throughout the Old Testament to be his voice alright right. right, so let's jump out to to question 7 here how does Paul explain the function of the law in verse 22 um, now, before we get too far into this, uh, you'll see, if you've got that study guide with you, there's uh, three different ways that we speak about the, the functions of the law, or how does the law work in the life of uh, those who hear it. The first is the curb. Uh, now, the curb functions like a, a curb on the side of the road. It's there to keep you from driving off the right path and into things that could harm or, or even kill you. And this is the same way that the law works in its first function of the curb it prevents you from doing things that could harm you or even kill your faith that's it's keeping you from straying off of the path all right and so these are the parts of the commandments and the things that we hear we're reminded to not do certain things all right so that's the the first function the second function is the mirror and the mirror functions just like that like a mirror Uh, it kind of holds us accountable to the will of god and shows us that we've made mistakes and that we are sinful. All right, that we are not holy as God is holy. Without the law, we wouldn't even know that we're sinning. All right, and so this is a a pretty critical function of the law and and one that Paul uses quite often in his expression of the law uh, as he's trying to convey that that we are sinful. Okay, so that's the the second one here. So we have the curb, we have the mirror, and then finally the, the third function of the law is the guide. Uh, now, the guiding function of the law is similar to, uh, think of like a trail guide on a hike, right? something I'm very familiar with out here in Colorado. Um, without a map or a guide, we would get lost in the woods and, and be vulnerable to all sorts of things. All right? So the guide shows us where we should be going, all right? in a similar way, the, the law shows us what we should do and, and how we should live, all right? so here's the way that you should operate in conjunction with the will of God, right? Here's how to align yourself with God. Okay, so these are the three functions, the curb, the mirror, and the guide, all right? So getting back to the question, how does Paul explain the function of the law in verse 22? Uh, what we can see here is that Paul's using the the mirror function of the law, all right? He's saying that the, the law traps us all in a prison, understanding that we we can't escape the situation the situation that we've put ourselves in through sin. And it's when we understand the nature of that situation and that we are sinners in need of a savior that the gospel is then seen with extraordinary clarity. See, recognizing that we have no hope except for God causes us to cling to the promise of rescue that he gave us in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly where we need to be. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to see. When we recognize the the fullness of the law and we recognize in that, that kind of same vein where we stand and position to the law of God, what we begin to recognize is that there is absolutely no way for us to get out of this mess that we have created. Our only hope is in Christ. And this is what he's trying to get the Galatians to understand and this is what he's trying to communicate to us. When we think about the gospel, The gospel needs to be specifically associated with this freedom from the captivity of sin and death. And that only happens when we make this clear distinction between the law and the gospel. Okay, and so this is what he's going to build on here as we go forward. And and let's do that by jumping back into Galatians. Let's now read through Galatians 3 verses 23 to 29 and see how he kind of caps this all off and moves us on to another critical part that we're going to get into in Galatians chapter 4. All right, so here it is. Galatians chapter 3 verses 23 to 29. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, it's important to understand what Paul is saying here. As he enters into this section, he wants to make sure that we understand that the law had a very specific way to operate in the lives of God's people leading to Jesus Christ, and that is, that it was a guardian. In other words, until we could get specifically to Jesus, until we get to the point where we know that our faith in the the promise of the Messiah is specific to Jesus of Nazareth, the law was a means by which for God to, to to guard our hearts and our minds, to stay locked into relationship with him. And so it was there to kind of protect us and, and steer us along, right? Think about like a, a mother hen kind of steering the chicks. Like, oh, no, 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 go, go back this way. No, 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 not over there. Come this way. And so over the course of the time of the Old Testament, God was keeping the people in relationship with him through the law. That the expression of their faith, the faith that they had in the coming Messiah, would eventually be revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. But Paul's saying, now that we know, right, now that we know specifically who that Messiah is, now the law doesn't need to operate as our guardian anymore. Because now that we have Christ, now that Christ has finally come, lived, died, resurrected, now we can put our faith specifically in him. But this kind of gets us to a a funny little uh, section here that that sounds a little bit odd coming from Paul in verse 25. And and this is question 8 in the study guide. Does Paul's statement in verse 25 mean that we no longer have to follow the law? And kind of why or why not? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Just to review, this is what he says in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So... Now that we have Jesus, now that the specifics of our faith in the Messiah are there, do we no longer have use of the law? Now, the answer is absolutely not. We we have a lot of use for the law. We just have to make sure we understand it correctly, right? We still follow the law. But what Paul's expressing here is that the law kept us locked in on the promise and served to guard us from the unfaithfulness until the Savior was revealed. When Jesus Christ was shown to be the Messiah, then the law no longer had to guard us from losing the hope in the future promise because the promise had come. The law now may serve in the capacity that was truly meant for, that is keeping us from the sin that creates distance with God and unbelief. All right, whereas the Old Testament people were saved by faith in the future hope of salvation in the Messiah, we are saved in the present hope Of the revealed Messiah that is Jesus Christ but the law still has a lot to do with our lives and and still directly relates to how we live out our Christian faith and so Paul wants to make sure that we very very clearly understand that alright so let's then move on here Uh, question 9 what does Paul mean when he says that we have quote put on Christ Now here the context of this verse is incredibly helpful. Uh, The entire verse actually says this, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now here what Paul's explaining is that baptism has a way of kind of covering us in Christ and incorporates us into everything that Christ is. Now, this ties directly to the inheritance idea that Paul has spoken of just briefly uh, before, but is going to expand on greatly in the next chapter of, of what it means to be an heir. But for right now, understanding the nature of what it means to put on Christ means that we recognize through baptism that the Father sees Christ when he looks at us, like a costume that we might wear at a party. It covers the real sinful self that we are all too familiar with and covers us in christ so that when god sees us he sees christ and so what he's talking about there is the incredible gift that the gospel is in spite of the sin that we recognize through the law so this is a pretty important transition for paul as he's moving from these law ideas into the real true nature of the gospel and that's what's going to kind of bring us here to the last question question 10. does paul mean that we are all equal and there is no difference between us at all in verse 28. So let's get a little bit of clarity here on verse 28 and what it's saying. Uh, The full context is this is the verse, it says, "...there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Now, this verse is sometimes, I would say, misused in an understanding or an attempt to understand equality amongst people. The verse here is not saying that there is absolutely no difference uh, between the Jew or the Greek, the slave or free, or man and woman. Each of these relationships comes with distinct features and realities that go along with them. The Jew and the Greek operate under different laws. They operate under different governances. They have different ideas about who God is and their responsibility to him. And so there is a difference there. The slave and the free man, there's a fundamental difference in how they operate. The slave is obviously um, under the master and the master dictates uh, how the slave carries out their job and their life. Whereas the free person has the freedom and availability to do things as they please. For men and women, we were created to be uh, connected with each other in a unique way that values the differences between men and women, that we have uh, different skill sets and different abilities and we're created for different purposes, that when you put them together you have this kind of fullness of humanity. Alright, so it's not saying that everybody's just kind of equal and there's no difference between anyone. But it is saying that there is a sense of equality uh, that we must understand, and that equality comes through Christ. In other words, when when we think about the nature of what Christ has done for us and the application of the promise of the gospel, there is no distinction between people when it comes to, to the reality of their salvation and who they are in Christ. And this is uh, to me, there's some fascinating things about this. And one of the things that I love and and that I've shared with people before is uh, this is one of the really special things about when I have an opportunity to take uh, the Lord's Supper with my children. Um, there's this reality of, of me being father and them being children that they recognize and I recognize. And the dynamic of our relationship operates uh, much like a parent would with a, a child. And, and so there is a huge difference between who we are, the nature of our responsibility, and the nature of our relationship. until Until we go and approach the Lord's table. And in that moment, when we kneel before the altar of God and we receive Christ's body and blood and we we take these things in and and we we receive this incredible gift of God's love and His mercy and His forgiveness, in that moment, my children are not my children. They are my brother and sister in Christ. Because in that moment, in the context of what Christ has done and the, the work of salvation, Every single person at that altar, every single person in that space worshiping together, we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so all the differences of, of boss and employee and and man and woman and, and parent and child, and all of those kind of fade out. And what comes into focus is the equality of salvation that we all have in Jesus Christ and so this is what Paul's trying to express and it really is a a very powerful understanding of what Christ's work has done to kind of level the playing field in a recognition that we are all sinners and all saved by the incredible mercy of God through Christ Jesus. What an incredible picture of salvation and and what an awesome message for us to, to think about when we think about what Christ has actually done for us in the gospel. And even beyond that, where Paul is going and going to be headed now is in talking about us as as co-heirs and and what does that mean that we receive all the blessings that rightfully belong to Christ and in no way belong to us. And so we're going to talk about this exchange as in chapter 4, Paul is going to make his most impressive and powerful case for the gospel yet. And don't forget, if you have any questions, uh, to make sure to get in contact with us, you can post down below those questions. You can uh, post things in our social media. Again, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, forward slash The Bold Speak for any of those. Uh, Tag us in posts. Or if you recall, last week I announced uh, this new feature that we're going to be starting uh, called Any Questions. And so you can contact us, contact me directly uh, with your questions that you want me to field by using the email address anyquestions at theboldspeak.com that's any questions all one word at theboldspeak.com okay now let's get to something that i introduced to you at the top of the show uh regarding a particular individual that you may not have thought about in a long long time in fact depending on how old you are as you're listening to this you may not have thought of him ever and that's the popular christian artist michael w smith when I think of Michael W. Smith, I have certain ideas that I kind of think about and a certain reputation that he's had within Christian music. But lately, pretty recently, he did something that I have to be honest with you, surprised me. And that is what we're talking about today on this edition of the Inner Out. All right, young man, In Out. Or- Oh, there it is, the classic Michael W. Smith track, Friends. If you are anything like me, when you think of Michael W. Smith, that's what comes to mind. The classically cheesy ballad of Christian togetherness that dominated the 80s Christian music scene for quite a while. And oh, by the way, for those of you who will have that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day, you're welcome. Uh, To be honest, most of the songs at that time were directed to a crowd that was much older than I at the time and had lost much of its relevance by the time that I really started to develop my musical tastes. It was at this point that I was listening to hair rock and the emerging grunge scene by the early to mid-90s. So that's why until recently, Michael W. Smith had been completely off my radar. That is, until about a week or so ago. See, sometimes when I'm under kind of high stress, I'll listen to Christian music to settle my mind while I valiantly attempt to go to sleep. And sleep usually doesn't come easy. It was sometime last week that this song came on echoing the words, This is how I fight my battles. And the claim that repeated over and over again is, It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And at this moment, it's kind of a difficult stage in my life. And so I found great comfort in this song that kept repeating and the strength that comes from only God that was being communicated in this song. Now, the title of the song is Surrounded Fight My Battles and is originally written and recorded by Alyssa Smith of the Upper Room in Dallas, Texas. But this wasn't Alyssa. This was Michael W. Smith. A bit taken off guard to hear his name again in modern Christian music, I looked up the song and lo and behold, in February of 2018, Michael W. Smith released a worship album entitled Surrounded, where he's literally surrounded by a worshiping community and covers many popular worship songs in this incredible worship setting. And I have to be honest with y'all, it's awesome. After listening to the entire live album, I have to admit, Michael, I'm in. I can only imagine the amazing and awe inspiring moment that recording must have been, and the music just brings that through beautifully. And as someone who listens to a lot of music, and I mean a lot of music, and has been around music all my life, I can tell you there are few live albums that genuinely capture the experience of a live performance. And though I may have never uttered these words before, they are definitely fitting now. Michael W. Smith, you nailed it. So if you haven't heard of this album because you still think of Michael W. Smith as your friend forever, I encourage you to find it on your music streaming service or catch a glimpse somewhere when you're browsing through YouTube. It gives me chills every time. Just an incredible album. Because ladies and gents, when it comes to this Michael W. Smith... I am most definitely all in. Well, folks, that's going to do it for us here on The Bold Speak Podcast. Again, very glad you could join me as we continue to go through our study of Galatians and talk a little bit about the world around us. As always, make sure you stay connected to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at forward slash The Bold Speak. Check us out on our website, www.theboldspeak.com. Check us out on YouTube, on SoundCloud, everything else that's available to you. Until next time, everyone, I'm Anthony Creedon, and that is The Bold Speak.